0: Welcome to our Path to Pro series with Legend Soccer Company. My name is Thomas Clark and I'm here with Roland Benedict, the co-founder of Legend. Roland also was a former professional player at Racing Ghent out of Belgium. And through this Path to Pro series, we're aiming to highlight the career paths of a number of different professional soccer players. From pros at the top of their game, making millions of dollars, to players working other jobs just to fulfill their dreams of being a professional athlete and continuing to enjoy the beautiful game. This series is dedicated to telling the story of what it truly means to be a professional soccer player at every level.
1: Um, so, I guess, OB, O'Brien, the, uh, let's start with you growing up in Montana before soccer was as big as it is now not only in, the, in our state, in Montana, but in the nation. And give us the breakdown and timeline of you going from high school and your awareness of the global game as you went through and beyond and continued your career into college and beyond.
2: Okay, um, I'm 41 years old, so uh, it was a long time ago, <laughs> as I sit in this room and talk to you guys, but uh, I'm sitting where I am right now because I got lucky. I really did. Uh, My parents, um, I lived out of town, so I had to catch rides with neighborhood boys in Martin City, Montana, and that was the only way I could go to practice. And it was, I just played rec soccer. My mom and dad didn't want me to play football because my mom had family that got hurt playing football. So I really wanted to play football because that's what the rest of my friends did but they wouldn't let me, thank God. (laughs) Um, But so I just played rec soccer and it was okay. It wasn't my favorite sport. I like baseball too and I like doing other things, but just kind of kept going to these rec practices and rec games. It was co-ed until I think uh, seventh grade and then we played an all boys team, You know, we had an all boys team, played in one season, played in the fall. There wasn't
1: club available at that time for that age
2: there was there was available yeah the whitefish sting and the flat flathead had a uh, competitive club team that before you, could, you were in seventh grade yeah i would say you when you got to be in about fifth grade you could be so what would that be you 12. Uh-huh. they had like okay. a travel team so but that was too far away too much money all that stuff
1: mm-hmm.
2: got to high school well in, you know, I'm also watching games on TV when I can. It was just Manchester United because that's the only game that would be played every once in a great while. So I became a Man U fan, organically. Tragically. Tragically, <laughs> can't defend myself this year. <laughs> um, but uh, got to high school, you know what? Yeah, I'll play high school soccer. It was club my freshman year. Uh, we had to pay and travel ourselves and drive ourselves to games. My sophomore year was school-sponsored, and they hired a new coach and um, started getting a little bit more into it and started honing my skills. It was very, very rough around the edges. I didn't develop my technical game until I got to college. Um, So uh, you know, but I was pretty athletic, you know, and picked up things quick and pretty soon started getting, um, well, I got college recognition by one college, so. I got scouted by one college in Kansas and ended up going and playing NAI soccer down at McPherson College. Um, and it was the best decision I ever made because <laughs> on the first day of school, I met my wife. And uh, 23 years later, we got three kids, and the rest is history. But um, so, but, but just
1: to go back to this, so you went, going into seventh grade wasn't your favorite, I mean, it's not really your favorite sport. You kept going to rec practices and ended up playing playing in high school what you know you got one college to give you high school soccer or soccer recognition what inspired you to take that decision
2: with soccer well I want to go back I guess to the seventh grade years I wasn't my favorite sport because it wasn't competitive I was an extremely competitive human being Mm -hmm. sure um and it was wreck so I wasn't too stoked I maybe would forget the score of games or even if we Mm -hmm. won or not um, so I really missed out, you know, on having that competitive ability at an early age. Uh, also, I didn't have good coaching. Uh, you know, a, a, mom, a dad yeah. uh, that played baseball, that coached my soccer team. Um, so uh, my senior year, we, lo- we played double A back then. We lost to Helena Capital in penalty kick shootout. And uh, I wanted that so bad. I remember that and I was like laying in face down in the mud uh, after that loss and I was like damn I don't want this to be over what game I remember it? it was in Helena it was in playoffs playoffs, wow. playoffs. Okay. playoffs. Yeah. We, we made it to playoffs my senior year we did pretty well I made it to playoffs took Helena capital to penalties and just I remember wanting it so bad and we didn't get it and i just remember laying in in the, literally in the mud in the grass staring at it trying <laughs> and going this can't be it and uh geez that was the end of october so pretty soon i started you know God, maybe i could play in college we'll see and that opportunity came around and uh, i got recruited to go down there got a college scholarship so cool.
0: So did you reach out to that school or did they ultimately seek you out?
2: I actually had the most assists in the state. Wow. Um, a lot of it was to do with a flip throw. In. That, <laughs> that padded my stats a little bit. Sure. Uh, me to Cliff Bell connection. Um, he was a forward number nine for us a year younger than me. And he was really good in the air. And man, we had six or seven goals together just from that. But um, had a lot of assists and a college recruiter came through and was talking to some high school um, kids and my name popped up on the radar somewhere and they wanted to talk to O'Brien Bird. Wow. So I got lucky. I mean, big time. Sure. If it wasn't for that opportunity, that coach coming through, I probably would have went to Carroll College and not ever played college soccer.
1: Yeah. I mean, Carroll College just got a boys' program. Yeah.
2: yeah, Which is
0: crazy. A men's
1: men's Mm -hmm. collegiate soccer program. I mean, how many years ago did that... Carol get there probably, probably five. five years ago now. yeah
0: that was my sophomore year of college yeah and I just recently graduated and it's crazy because they have a top 25 program in both football and basketball and never even thought about it until recently and a
1: great women's program great, great women's story program. yeah, yeah. Sure.
0: so you go to college you're from Montana you're this dynamic assist guy that's getting a lot of them from a flip throw in right what was the jump Technically speaking, I'm sure it was massive.
2: I was really embarrassed. I was embarrassed because I was
0: exposed.
2: I mean, my athleticism didn't count for very much on a team of athletes that were very good soccer players. Sure. <laughs> so, uh, And I was such a mixed bag of um, ethnicities. We've get, we had a German on the team, had a guy from Ghana. We had six Mexican-American guys that, that were just like the best soccer players i would ever even seen in my life. Sure. And uh, you know we're asked to play possession and very technically. I mean, just the first practice, I remember just looking at the ball, going, "Man, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to cut this." And the coach is yelling at me because I'm just blowing it. And you know, there balls going out of bounds, and I'm just not good. Anyway, but I was pretty athletic, and I picked it up, and um, and I wasn't gonna quit. And so I just kind of hung in there. Definitely a backup. Um, our back line was mostly upperclassmen and anyway the day before first game my freshman year our senior right back rolled his ankle really bad in oklahoma right before we were to play oklahoma christian and my coach i was like training as a forward or outside mid because was pretty pretty fast and he's like bird you're playing right back tomorrow and and I went out, and it was just so simple to me because I didn't have to create. I just had to destroy. Yeah. <laughs> so, actually, I was like, God, this is." I did pretty well. And I started the rest of every single game of my college career. Wow. Um, eventually moved to center back. Did you send a thank you note to the senior guy with his ankle? <laughs> Jason. <laughs> yeah. I remember that guy. Yeah, I should. Yeah, it changed my life, for sure. That <laughs> so, opportunity. So, in high school, what position did you play? I played forward, forward. mostly. Mostly forward or outside mid. Yeah, just because I was just fast. Mm-hmm. That's it. And I'd get the ball close enough to goal, and so it would be hard to miss. And-
1: <laughs> so from, from high school, talking about your going to McPherson, skill level, like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. What was, you know, I'm assuming that's the bottom rung on the team. Right? Yeah. You're, it's
2: skill-wise. Very much so. Right, Very, you're in that. Field. I was the, the, my, the backup keeper was worse than me. But that was it. <laughs> that was it. I had the worst skill in the can team. always count on that. Couldn't so, juggle the ball maybe. could barely juggle the ball 12 times, I think. I remember that. So from, from
1: that position on the NAIA to where was your skill level on your high school team? Like, where would you have been ranked skill-wise on your high school team?
2: Great question. Probably top five. Top five. So, sure. Colby Falls wasn't known for their soccer. We were a new program. Yeah.
1: No, I think it's just good for people listening at that time. You know, we talked about Carroll just getting a program. 2013, Mm -hmm. they just get a, a men's program. How far behind Montana was from the rest of the country at the time where you are top five on your team and you go to your college to go play collegiate soccer,
2: and yes. Yeah. I probably most of the college team, I'd, I'd probably say I'd never seen better soccer players before in my life. Mm. There was maybe one or two kids for Flathead or Helena High that were really good that played college soccer. But sure. that was it, like the accumulation of the best soccer players i would ever seen when I was on their team. Um, sophomore year, uh, center back got hurt a third of the way through the season and they slotted me in at center back. And that's where I played for the rest of my career. Got some... All conference awards and stuff like that. So did pretty well back there. So with, with
1: joining a team, bottom of the rung, of uh, technical ability, but athleticism. But and for me, going over to Europe, I there's a a thing. I, I my technical ability was not my strong suit. I was athletic. I read the game well. I was smart. I well, there was a point where I knew my skill levels was starting to catch up and what what point in your collegiate career was a, where your skill level was you're going I can finally feel confident on the ball and not worried about my touches at what point did that start to catch up
2: I after I graduated,
1: after you graduated? I know it's that's it's
2: crazy to realize no. but it really is true as a as a defender like I wasn't asked of much win the ball pass it to the nearest guy sure Win the ball clear it out of danger you know so i didn't get to really hone it but after i graduated it was that same feeling damn i don't want this to end how can i keep going and i was in the student union checking my mail in the spring of my senior year and i get this invite (laughs) to a pro tryout that's in salt lake city and Talked to my wife, then wife Melanie. We're just getting ready to graduate. I was like, I think, I think I want to go do this, and uh, didn't have the money to, but somehow scraped it together to take a road trip out there, and and I tried out. Uh, there was 225 people trying out on this gigantic complex in Salt Lake City, and um, we were all split into teams of 11, and then we just played games, oh, wow. mini games, oh, rotated. Um, and they would put you in a position. I was a center back. I, I played right mid, I played forward, I played holding mid. Yeah. And actually my best game at the end of the day on Saturday where I played holding mid and I scored two goals. Oh,
0: nice.
2: Just one off a corner and like <laughs> I, I just said, screw it, I'm gonna go flying down the middle and no one picked me up and I scored a decent goal and the scout saw that pulled me off to the side and said, okay, you're done for the day. And then I got, um, I an email the very next day. Then I was invited to the last 25. So I made the last 25 and we played, uh, in a game and it, they, they brought a bunch of the Utah Blitz current players in and we basically played at an 11 against them. And I didn't do the best. They played me at outside man. I just didn't do very well and never got a call back. And, um, so but I had that taste and I just didn't want it to stop eventually got a teaching job back home and quit after a year moved to Maui with my wife and played lots of soccer down there six days a week and actually just honed my skills honed my skills I was with the soccer ball I was with the soccer ball every single day in this beautiful patch of Maui grass in front of a in front of our little condo and uh Played against all these different teams in three different leagues and played in every tournament I could get in and just honed my skills. And I went from like being able to juggle a soccer ball like probably 25 times after I got out of college to, you know, hundreds. And uh, then moved out to Pennsylvania, uh, which is where my wife's family's from and was a manager of an indoor soccer complex. That was my first job there and was a substitute teacher Played soccer in many different leagues. Here I'm 22, 23 years old, 24 years old maybe, 24. So still in great shape, still haven't peaked. Getting training, soccer touches every day, every day, every day. And I got a, one of my men's league players from Nigeria, Zarni Bukma. He said, <laughs> "Man, I'm gonna go to uh, this tryout in Reading, Pennsylvania." And I'm, you know, you want to go? I'll drive you. No, I'm like, yeah, sure. More yeah, soccer, more soccer. Sure. Yeah. Worst case, worst case scenario, I get to play a couple of soccer games and kick a couple of pros in the knees. <laughs> and um, it was a four-weekend process. And yet, I survived the first cut. I survived the second. Survived the third. Survived the fourth. And they didn't really tell me what was going on. They just said, you know, okay, the next tryouts next Saturday. And they kept sprinkling in more and more of the pro guys as we're getting closer to the beginning of the preseason. Pretty soon, there's more pro guys showing up, training, getting in shape, and then all of a sudden, I was invited to some preseason games against some college teams, um, and I was playing. And the captain of oh, here's lucky, the captain of the Rage, center back, injured, recovering from a knee injury. Ugh. So I all of a sudden, like in the first preseason game, I'm a starter at center back. And they liked me because I would love to talk. I like to direct and make people do the work for me. And gosh, and it was, they loved that I could talk. That was, I made up a lot of, for a lot of my weaknesses with my communication. And all of a sudden I show up to East Stroudsburg University for another preseason game. And my, the coach taps me on the shoulder and he hands me, he's like, hey sign this. And it was my co- pro contract, still have it in my office. My, my pro contract. You know, it was uh, it wasn't very much money. I think I got twenty bucks a day for practices and gas, and then um, if I started, it was like two twenty-five. I don't know. I would have done it for free. Yeah, <laughs> Are you kidding exactly. me? I would exactly. have paid actually. I, I would have paid.
1: So through the whole through the whole story so far, I didn't want to interrupt you because we're going to go back. And I was rolling. It. You were. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> it <rolling, but> brings <laughs>
2: back some awesome memories. But with,
1: from from high school and you go to college on the bottom, you're on the bottom rung. And you said you're fast, you're athletic, right? Physical. But there's, there's got to be something else that got... Because first game, you're starting right back and you survive. I mean, it's a survival, but you do your job. Like, and like you had mentioned, it's very simple, destroy, pass to the closest person. But what characteristics do you think... And maybe it came from being raised in Montana or in your environment of childhood, but from college to the tryouts with the blitz in and, and salt lake until you really got to miley and your skills developed and you mm-hmm. could put time to the technical side there was athleticism but there must have been some other characteristic that kept you surviving because guy injures his ankle you started right back another guy gets hurt you go to center back and now we hear you go for the riding range and so you're at the pro level you don't know you're signed and start and oh they're captain you're hurt okay i'm going to start now and you continually always manage to survive, stay alive, and
2: compete. What's the different characteristic? I would say what kept me going is my passion, for sure. Like, I just Mm. loved it so much. After I graduated college, it was like I went up four notches, like, with my passion and didn't want it to stop. And what kept me going and kept my waiting for that opportunity was... To be honest i was just so thankful to be able to have the god-given ability to keep playing the game at a high level every practice i was like felt so blessed every practice i was like i can't believe how lucky i am and i'm looking at the roster and this team and every single player has oh i played for cork united in ireland i Mm -hmm. um tampa bay rowdies mls former MLS player all Division I soccer players. And me from Martin City, Montana, NAIA. It was a joke when they listed my <laughs> McPherson College, Kansas. Martin, where's it more from? Martin City, Montana. Everybody's yeah. Philly. Dublin. Tampa. And I'm this Montana kid. It was a joke. But, do you, the, but
1: I guess the, the question was that you had passion, obviously. You just keep wanting to play. You wanted to play, but you wanted to play. But you, built, you start the first game at McPherson at right back. I mean, technical ability, tactically, you know, you're still inc- trying to catch up to the level. So a character, either a, like, is it a characteristic of hard work, uh, being able to learn really quickly, learning from others and watching, so you didn't have to be told, and it took lots of repetitions. Because every time you go to a new level, you ended up starting and succeeding. New level, your skills were behind, starting and succeeding.
2: I guess just pushing myself to be better and not to suck. I didn't <laughs> want to get yelled at. Yeah. my, my yeah. college coach would yell at me. And he enjoyed it. And I just didn't wanted to get yelled at very much during practices and games. The pro team, I've never been cussed at like that. I've never seen anybody get cussed at like that before. And if you made a mistake, it was an instant Four or five F-bombs insulting you mm-hmm. as a human being, as a yeah. player, as everything. And I just was like, dang, I don't, I don't wanna mess up. I just sure. kept, honestly, that worked for me. Mm-hmm. And um, I just kept pushing myself, don't wanna make mistakes, limit my mistakes, limit my mistakes. But my passion, honestly, can't say it enough, kept me coming back. Have a bad practice? Well, my passion made me show up with a better attitude the next day. That's a great thing about these kids and all this opportunity. It doesn't have to end. Mm-hmm. It's always, it's possible for anybody to have this story, and way better, and a way more incredible story—a Jamie Vardy story. Um, I love the way we're seeing this huge shift in our soccer culture in the U.S., and we're finally getting our shit together. Yeah, we're finally getting it together. It's more organized instead of. 12 different random leagues, non-pro, semi-pro, kind of pro, full-time pro, then the big league, MLS, and now it's like under the same umbrella, and it's going to be just, my story seems like just such a miracle, long shot. If I had that ladder, Mm -hmm. PDL, USL 2, 1, MLS, Scouts, Combines, I never had any of those opportunities, nothing. Nothing was out there like that. Um, so it's exciting the landscape that we're seeing the the, sh- the paradigm shift is it's impressive.
0: Yeah, I think um, I think it's just it's it's given people more opportunity obviously. I mean, we talked about the restructuring of the USL last week in our podcast and the way in which the PDL has now been adopted by the USL into USL League 2 gives players that maybe, you know, you play for Portland Timbers U23s a couple years ago, your only option of moving up really is I'm going to get picked up by the second team. I'm going to get picked up by T2 and then maybe advance into the top tier and play for the top team. Now there are other USL teams that could pick you up. There's USL league one teams that could pick you up. All of a sudden you could be playing in the USL championship. You're playing for a Louisville FC in the final and you have a chance to make it into the MLS. Do you think you'd still not be playing now but do you think your career would have been 10 12 15 years if you had those opportunities back then
2: Mm, absolutely my gosh it's no it's a no-brainer pdl the opportunity to play if i lived in an area where i could play on a pdl team in between my college instead of go to work at a restaurant and play men's league once once a week that was my summer and work lifted weights and all that stuff but um It seems so random. Oh, there was a pro coach that happened to watch a Saturday morning men's league game or a college game, and you got noticed by a scout. Um, Actually, super quick, cool story. I thought I was maybe going to get noticed, but Rangers, Scottish Rangers. That was my fantasy, but uh, the Rangers, Rangers FC, the Scottish Premier League, they Mm -hmm. were in to play... A preseason uh, tour in the U.S. and they played DC United like on a Sunday, and they were going to play the New York New Jersey Metro Stars on like a Thursday, so they wanted this run out game on Tuesday, and we were right in between those two teams, so they stopped in Reading, and we played it, and we didn't even hardly have enough time to get any of the word out. So there was like probably 50 people watching mm-hmm. the game, and that's it. The Scottish <laughs> Rangers in Reading, Pennsylvania, it was insane. <laughs> and I was playing center back, and I was marked, marked in one of the world's most famous Norwegian players is Tori Andre Flo. And the guy was literally, I think he's six foot six. And I'll just remember a moment in the game, cause I, you know, you, you zone out, you don't even care. Okay, yeah, he's number nine. That uh, there was a moment, like in a stoppage, I was like, pretty, pretty long ways to, to come for a Martin City kid. Yeah. yeah. Rapids, coed, ed Playing co-ed rap in yeah. sixth grade to mark in this dude. Yeah. Um, but I honestly was like, man, if I ball out, if I ball out and shut this guy down. I can get a look, rate. I can yeah. get a
0: look. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, Jay Merritt, Great
0: Same, example. Great example, mm-hmm. I
2: mean, kind of, kind of what he. Funny, so Jay DeMeritt.
1: I watched his he has you know the Jade Jade Merritt story. So when I was in between being in Belgium I came back and ended up watching the Jaden Merritt story and during that he has a they show a photo of like all of his contacts and, and the people that he had bounced around and on it is Mark de Klerk and I forget which club I should look up which club jade Merritt, Mark de Klerk was at. But Mark De Klerk was the chairman and CEO of the Belgian team that signed me. Really? Yeah Honey and Mark Declerc had helped Jada Merritt also, which I didn't know, and Mark. I wish Mark would have told me at the time, like, yeah, I've got history with American players, but yeah, okay. it's a very, you know, the where you get seen in Jada Merritt, but. I think the, the, the interesting thing now, and I, and I think it's something that needs to be talked about for the U.S. landscape, because when you're in England and when you're overseas Guys know that if you're playing for Jamie Varney for Fleetwood Town, it's not pro, but he's still making money. Like he's still getting a certain amount if he mm. starts or goals or he's got a little, you know, a little benefit, a little bonus system. I think for American players to know, you know, everyone knows MLS, you make money, right? You, and we're getting to the point where you can make full-time a really player. full-time, really good money. But to actually know, if I'm on a USL 2 side or a USL 1 or a championship side, what am I gonna make? Cause then I, I, players could tailor what they do outside of soccer in order to survive. Like I'm getting $20 a day for training, and gas like kind of a per diem, and then if I start it's 220 like you were saying with the rage. I think knowing that, players now can be aware, just like you're getting another job. I bartend at night, and I am a ski instructor during the day to pay mm-hmm. the bills. You can fill your time. I think that's important that you can still make a little bit of money and fill
2: your time by playing in a lower league in the United States. And I can't stress it enough. You, you can develop so much more as a player sure. after college. I mean, I was 10 times the player I was in college. I wish I could go back to those college years. And, yeah. but, um, yeah the development doesn't have to stop you are not peaking as a 21 year old finishing your college career you are far from peaking you've got nine more years if your body holds up before you'll start to peak and then just goes downhill but Mm -hmm. changes the way you play and you guys know that story but um for me to be able to get a bartending job and get this get on this team that i can you know, maybe they give me a little stipend and I can just keep playing and keep developing. Yeah, I'm gonna go to the USL one tryout they're gonna have in April. Totally. Uh, You know, the Portland Timbers combine, you know, the tryout
0: rather. Um, When I think the big difference now is that, yeah, if you can just hang on to it, right? You're a passionate guy, you both are. That's why you went into your professional careers. If you can work that other job and continue to do what you're doing the difference now is you don't have to wait for the scottish rangers to randomly schedule a friendly with your team before they go play dc united you have all these other clubs that are looking at you Mm -hmm. and it's it's really a unique environment so now you're a coach you coach at the high school level you coach club teams as well you know what it takes to play professionally and collegiately i think roland was mentioning this earlier you've talked about your confidence being willing to go take those steps up into levels, your, your positional flexibility, moving from right back to center back to basically earning your first professional contract due to your performance at holding mid, right? A position you didn't play all through your collegiate career. Do you think that positional flexibility in soccer intelligence is kind of the biggest asset you can have as a player trying to make their way into the professional game?
2: Yeah. Um, I, well, I would say that In this day and age, at that level, everybody's an athlete. Everybody's fast. Everybody's strong. Everybody's good in the air. Okay? Everybody's expected to have a high level of technical ability. Um, the little things that can separate you, though communication. I'm telling you what, it's a dying art form. Mm-hmm. It, it, players these days, college and in, in high school, they aren't talking to each other out there. So if you can separate yourself with the little things in your game, nuances like communication, um, directing traffic, but you can't communicate unless you can read the game. So if you are lacking knowledge of how a number six should play in the defensive phase of the game, then it's hard to tell them what to do. Yeah. So you can't talk unless you can read the game and you know the, know the positional responsibility. That's easy though. I mean, these kids, High school and college, they're asked to get a B or an A in organic chemistry. Mm-hmm. If they can't study the game, they don't, they don't belong at that level. How easy is it to study the game? To watch the Premier League on a Saturday morning? To ask your coach, hey, now, how come you want the seven to make this run? Or how come you want them to push inside when we defend? That's the easiest thing you can do. Don't be afraid to ask those questions. Don't be afraid or turn the dang tv on and watch some soccer um but yeah i'd say yeah knowledge of 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 how to read the game knowledge of the positions within the 11 and um i just can't say it enough communication is for winners if you're not if it's not in your personality too bad you have to talk you have to be able to communicate with your team Mm -hmm. otherwise it's like they're playing with a blindfold out there sometimes if no one's talking. So.
1: Well, I think the you know the communication, all of those things. I think you can watch a soccer game. Like you can say, hey, turn a soccer game on the weekend. A kid can turn a soccer game on and watch it and be into the game and be cheering, but not really learn anything.
2: Depends on the mentality.
1: Depends on the mentality. And I think going back to when you said, I didn't want it to end, passion, and I don't want to get yelled at. So when you're watching a game, you're just passionate. You want, you don't want it to end. You want to become better at passion. That's how I look at passion. It's like I just want to be as good as I can be. I hate sucking. I don't want to be yelled at when I'm at practice. So you're not watching Manchester United. I mean, you are, but you're watching Roy Keane or whoever's in the field. Like, oh wow,
2: you see that? He just played one touch and then you know spun out and got the ball back around right the other side. Yeah, I'm watching the manager Vidic. Yeah. You exactly. know, I'm watching that. My position. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Boy, the center backs are really wide when they have the ball. Wow. Wow. Why? They're on the corners of the goal box. Um, Oh yeah, they're moving together and they push up. Okay. All right. If one presses the ball, the other one, okay. And that's the distance. That's what it looks like. If you're not, if you want to go to that next level, and that might even be to play NAIA college soccer or to get on a PDL team, or to start your varsity high school team. If you're not looking at the game like that, then you're handcuffing yourself. You Absolutely. know what I mean? You're totally. 100%. I question if you really want to go to the next level. Because mm-hmm. that's, talk about the easiest thing to do. You're going to the organic chemistry class at 2 p.m.,
0: just do the homework. And
2: you're going to just want to give me one of the hardest things you've ever done, and that's terrifying and boring. You can't turn the TV on and watch and watch how Messi plays in a four-five-one. one Come on. I think it's interesting, too, that you happened to understand
1: that as a young man growing up. It's just something that made sense to you to do and watch and learn. With organic chemistry, you're right. That's why I didn't go to college because I hated school. It was boring. I didn't want to go sit in 2 p.m. organic chem. I wanted to go play soccer and watch the game. I still think kids today, and I think that's why we're wanting to create this podcast and this content for kids to understand what the homework is for soccer. Like going out, going into class, going to practice is great, but knowing that you need to go home and watch game film, watch highlights, watch movement videos, analysis stuff. This is the homework, you know, here... Teachers give out a worksheet for organic chemistry. This is your project. You bring it in you get a grade. Go to your homework so when you come to practice, you can now
2: get an A instead of a C. I got a On that homework note, here's, <laughs> don't get me on my soapbox. But kids don't go out on their own anymore. They don't text their homie and say, let's go knock the ball. Let's take some shots. Let's play two-on-two. Let's call Jimmy and Johnny and... Let's, let's meet out on the pitch at 2. They're not doing that anymore. I did. That's, that was a big part of my growing up was, man, we, Saturday mornings in the summer, 2 on 2, 3 on 3. Um, they're only going to practice or to the soccer field for that practice on Monday night, for the Wednesday at night practice. Saturday morning, I show up for a game that's what average players do that's the 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 least amount of expectation for a soccer player is just to show up the homework is what you do after practice before practice the day after practice the day after the game
0: if you want to be an average player just show up well and i think your story speaks to that right because you improved more i think moving to Hawaii and getting touches on the ball outside of a structure, collegiately or otherwise, all of a sudden you have a chance to play professionally. Um, Now we're looking almost, what, 20 years later, you're coaching a high school program back at Columbia Falls High School where you grew up and you played. Is that the biggest thing now? You obviously won National Coach of the Year when you coached me in high school, which is an incredible accolade and a career achievement. Is that the biggest thing that you're trying to press onto student-athletes that want to maybe go on and play collegially and further down the road, play professionally. you got to do that work on your own.
2: It, it is, but it's also a catch-22 because here an adult is telling the player or forcing the player to go do what you want them to do out of their own will. So I always grit my teeth when I say, Jimmy, what are you doing Saturday morning? Get some guys together and play. It's like blow my brains out. I mean, it hurts me to have to encourage that for these kids, but that's what they're missing. That is what they're missing. Uh, Do you feel, because I I agree with you 100%. And they don't know what to do. I agree. Well, the ball is, they show up on Saturday morning and there's the ball. Okay, I'll shoot it, pass it back and forth.
0: Well, there's no cones.
2: There's no cones. What do we do? Oh, here's some shoes literally flip-flops here, 30 yards to 40 yards down that way. Flip-flops, yep, shoulder width apart. Okay, nope, that one's too wide. Yep, okay, tuck it in. There's no cones, there's no corners.
1: That's when the best, oh, be- I, I feel the best learning happens mm-hmm. because there's no structure, so you are now, that's, I'm sure that's where the all the creative skills that are used today were created, not at a training session with a- In the backyard. Created in the backyard. Do you feel that, and I have an opinion about this, so I'd like to know, do you feel, because if you look at the United States national team, we have a lot of great goalkeepers, and the men's and the women's side, too. Women's, a little different, a little different environment in the sense of what I'm going to talk about. But the creative player, the U.S. system doesn't create a lot of number 10s, creative, thinking outside of the box player. We have center backs and outside backs and good athletes and big guys, Brian Ching and Dempsey that cre- scored with his head. And Dempsey's fairly creative. But the number 10, the guys that... Schneider. Create, Schneider, Messi, Coutinho, you know, all these creative, creative players. The list goes on forever. Do you feel it's because kids aren't out on, you know, in Brazil, they're on the beach. Kids aren't out just playing on their own, creating, creating their rules, and taking risks?
2: At the end of every season, we, you know, as a coach, you have the end-of-the-season banquet... And there's usually a kid that you talk about as, okay, yeah, that's the creative kid on the team. Mm -hmm. And I always say, when I talk about this kid, it's like, then there's the kid that has that thing that you just can't coach. Mm -hmm. I mean that verbatim. You can't teach the kid to be unpredictable in the 32nd minute in that situation and think of doing a rainbow or switching the point of attack or creating something out of nothing it really that skill was developed on their own mm-hmm. and probably at a, even a much younger age so yeah i'd really truly mean that you can't set up a session and say okay today we're going to be creative what mm-hmm. does that mean you know so uh, You know, it stems back to the overcoaching of America Mm -hmm. in every sport. Pay to play, and I show up because there's practice. And that's when I show up. Mm -hmm. And I paid. I paid. I paid the coach. And that's when I show up. Like, okay, all right. Well, man, three-on-three with flip-flop goals, you're going to come up with some fun stuff. Yeah. You're going to get creative. You're going to do some stuff that... Normally, maybe your coach would yell at you for, it. and uh, you don't have the inhibition. You know, you have, you have freedom to to be creative and to try fun things and maybe humiliate your teammate or your friend. That was the best, mm-hmm. sick move or megum. And where if you lose possession in practice, what happens?
0: What happens when you lose you get possession you know in practice? You know that. You get you know that. Well, that's why I think it's cool that we're we're seeing, and this this rebranding of the the USL, we'll see where it goes, but I do know one thing. I think that more professional players that maybe weren't getting looks even two years ago are gonna get looks now. So you're getting players from different backgrounds. I mean, you guys know, if you watch the NCAA Division I National Championships, it's all so contrived. It's just down the line, cross it to our big guy, down the line, cross it to our big guy, right? So there are people that have played at different levels. Maybe they spend more time in the backyard than they spent on a turf field with their college team. Whatever it is, maybe they didn't go to college. Maybe they just played on their own a lot and played in men's league. Whatever it is, there are more people like that that I think are going to come out of the woodworks, if you will, and just show up and maybe have that special intangible thing. That I think U.S. soccer desperately needs right now.
1: I think, and it, it's a soccer culture, right? And the USL thing, the rebranding. What it helps us do is have more people playing, like O'Brien for the Red and Ridge. Right. Think about all the players that didn't have the miraculous set of circumstances happen to play on a team like that, or they didn't know it was a possibility, or they didn't stumble through it. That were in that era, in that time now you have an opportunity and it's more readily available for those players to play so now as they play and they have three kids and they're coaching and the kids that are in that area get to see them there's just a soccer culture being created and so those kids grow up playing in the backyard with dad and they love just playing like i don't know if i want to play in high school but they just play they love they love playing so you create soccer culture that passion can start being built and, and, and I think ultimately that's the benefit. It's not necessarily being able to play prof, quote unquote professional and make money. It gives a great part-time finance that the restructuring. But the real thing is to be able to create the best environment in the soccer culture for the United States. I mean every, and I've said this before, but NBA, we're the best, we're number one the US. Everyone wants to come play in the NBA. Major League Baseball, so they want to come play. NFL, so they want to come play. I mean, NHL, all of those, yet soccer, MLS, for a long time we got laughed at. Now we're starting to create that culture. And I think once that happens,
2: it's gonna be special. I think with money and brilliant marketing and we have built up a history of the MLS now, um, it's still very American. The shift, the cultural shift is still very American. I don't think that alone solves the number 10 problem. I still think the US is missing out on 90% of the athletes in America because of pay to play, because You know, I can play football, Pop Warner football for 50 bucks. Mm -hmm. I can play minor league baseball for 35 bucks and I'd get coached by my buddy's dad. I can play pickup basketball in the streets of Harlem for free or on the YMCA league for $19 and I get a Mm -hmm. tank top. But for competitive soccer, it's four or 500 bucks. And that's for Montana.
0: Yeah, it's people listening to this in,
2: in other places. It's way more expensive. I I think kids show up to a soccer field twofold, so the number 10, the missing number 10, pay to play. Missing out on all these athletes and human beings that just can't afford to play. Also, I think kids are intimidated by showing up to a soccer field. You go to Smith Fields, a big soccer complex in Whitefish. Big beautiful full fields. And you call your buddy Johnny and you call Sally and, and, and you show up there with a the ball and it's this gigantic field. And I think if we had small sided courts set up, cheap, concrete, don't have to water it, don't have to mow it, don't have to fertilize it. 4v4, 5v5 and they're just there and they're city, they're, they're paid for by the city and they're there with the two goals. I think that's much more achievable. I'm going to grab the kids in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get my own kids. Zoe, Cash, Riley. Hey, we're going to get Wake, get Arnie and Henry. And we're going to show up with a ball. It's already there. The lines are there. It doesn't take me that much to get a game. But if you think about the other, let's show up to Smith Fields. There's no cones. What do we do? I think we probably need to try to get 10 guys or 20 guys together. I think if city governments... There, there's tennis courts out there. There's basketball yeah. courts. Mm-hmm. You can turn a basketball court into a soccer court. I mean, you can retrofit it. You can, it'll be multi-purpose. And then the poor kids can play pickup soccer. Mm-hmm. Or any kid can play pickup soccer. And then that's where you're going to get your number 10s. Mm-hmm. And that's where you're going to maybe catch the kid that fell mm-hmm. through the cracks. I mean, other countries are
0: doing it. Yeah, that's happening in other places. Yeah. I, I just. Iceland, I'm sure. Yeah, I just spent <laughs> the summer in Iceland. I was just about to say that. There are all these kids that are out there playing on courts exactly like that. I went out and played with some people, and it, it, it's a blast. That's why a country of 350,000 people makes the World Cup and our country doesn't.
2: Million dollar question, Thomas. Was there a coach watching the kids?
0: Hell no. No,
2: there wasn't a coach there. Those kids went out and just played pickup and got creative. That's. Who's the creative midfielder for Everton?
0: Gilfey- Sigurdsson. Gilfey- That's where you're going
2: to get Gilfey Sigurdsson. Mm-hmm. We don't have a Gilfie Sigurdsson. No. No, because our center mids, they paid thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars and only showed up to practices.
1: So, I mean, as we all know, we're, we, we do this kind of all the, all the time yeah. on, on the weekends. <laughs> we, talk about, we talk like this all the time. I think, one, fantastic to... That you came on and told your story, and, and I think the story is so interesting because it happened at a time where the opportunity was slim to none, and you weren't actively aware of searching for all those opportunities. You kind of just didn't want to stop playing. It was just the passion that I love the game, uh, and so we, you know, obviously covered a lot of different different subjects. But that's the the content and the the, the message we want to relieve to everyone is just keep playing and with everything that's happening in u.s soccer there will be a plethora of opportunities for you when you keep playing at whatever level you hit your ceiling or want to play at and wherever you stop progressing and getting better there'll be that opportunity out there And i think that's very just very exciting yeah so. it is
2: yeah it is and don't don't stop you your development doesn't have to stop at 18 21 and don't just show up for practice Put, put your work in. Watch your games. Get, grab your buddies. Go out to the park. Kick it. Keep going. Love it. Love it. Well, thanks, ma'am, And uh, we'll see you next time.